Welcome to Advent Next, a place where we hold life and faith discussions with experts and PhD professors about theology, history, and modern application of scripture. Today, we're continuing our discussion with Dr. John Oswald, a professor from Asbury Seminary and one of the translators for the New Living Translation Bible. His personal expertise is the Old Testament. So, on today's podcast, we're discussing how the Bible is different from other ancient literature and how we can better understand God by understanding how he related to the ancient world. This discussion is loosely based on Dr. Oswald's book, The Bible Among the Myths. Is it just ancient literature or is it revelation? So let's get into it. Welcome back to Advent Next. Um, Our guest today is Dr. John Oswald from Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. Um, And we're going to continue our our conversation because in our last episode, um, you know, Dr. Oswald, he has been a contributor to the New Living Translation and his big focus is the Old Testament. And today we're going to talk about, you know, is the Bible uh, just among the myths or is there something to this? Um, And so today, what's what's the name of the book again? I forget. The Bible Among the Myths. Mm -hmm. Is it just ancient literature or is it revelation? Awesome. And so also we have our, our co-host, Max. Howdy do. Howdy do. All right. So let's That's just get the in. the first time I've ever said that in my life. <laughs> well, now it's on air and everyone can hear you. <laughs> so we'll get, we'll get straight into it because, I mean, we live presently in a culture that is really kind of mystified uh, with uh, pagan culture and, and the myths. Like I was just mentioning, you know, Marvel is a, a multi-billion dollar industry and it has a lot of these mythological undertones of Thor and, and gods and, and kind of this, you know, um, the gods really bad in the atmosphere to save humanity. And it very much parallels kind of some ancient culture. And in that context, when you have fantastic CGI and it looks realer than things that you've probably seen, um, you know, the Bible can become very diminished in the midst of this. And is this just a, another mythological text or is this, uh, is there something more to that? And you were sharing something pretty interesting about um, even just the kind of the the tones that are in something like a Marvel movie or, or present in our culture of uh, the battle between you know multi gods and monotheism. Right. Well, so there's that moment in the first Avengers movie. Right. They've captured Loki. Thor wants to put him on trial according to the Asgardian way. So he mm-hmm. swipes him out of this jet thing that they're flying in. Anyone who can fly, Iron Man, all of them, they go chasing afterwards. And Captain America. Brave as he is and and headstrong, perhaps, decides he's going to grab his parachute and jump out after them. Black Widow turns from the pilot's seat and says, you better sit this one out, Cap. They're basically gods. And in his his Protestant fervor, Captain America turns back and he's like, there's only one god, ma'am. And he doesn't dress like that. And then jumps out the plane. (laughs) A leap of faith type of thing. Yeah. And it's it's a high profile statement of a core... Abrahamic monotheistic belief in, in one God. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it's it's in it's on the lips of a beloved character, mm-hmm. but perhaps at a stage in his character arc that the the story is almost willing to satirize a little bit. Right. Um, which is hilarious because the the entire premise of the story is built on the assumption like, okay, we have supernatural beings, they exist and they they affect the world. Right. And yet we can have maybe the the naivete of a Christian character kind of on display. And yet as also kind of the, the nobleness of his character is also Mm. on display. So there's this really interesting dynamic in how 
the modern world interacts with mythology, theistic belief of any sort, and then especially monotheistic commitment. Right. And, uh, you know, how, how does culture read us as we sit here, mm. both consumers and kind of the target of criticism? Yeah, yeah. So what's your take on this, Dr. Oswald? Is, is the Bible just a part of the mythology? Or, or if it's not, why should we take it more seriously? Well, as I said in the last um, podcast, one of the remarkable things about the Bible is that God steps into time and space as uh, really using their life, their story to reveal himself. He doesn't ask us to sort of get out of our context and hear some eternal truths that he's bombing us with, mm. but he is stepping into our lives. And I think that's the reason for that is he's a God of relationships. Mm. He's a God who is not going to be content just to bomb us with ideas. Mm. He wants to know us. He wants us to know him. Mm. So this means that he is using stuff with which they're very familiar. Mm. He's using the kinds of uh, stories that they know about. And yet, at the same time, he's transforming those things. Mm. And that's, that's what's going on in the Bible. We see, and this has become more and more clear over mm. the past century and a half, that there are a lot of things in the Bible that are part of the ancient Near Eastern context. Mm. Uh, one example, an obvious example, would be sacrifices. Right. Mm. right. All of the pagan religions use sacrifice, mm. and the Hebrew religion does as well. Mm -hmm. uh, another would be the uh, structure of the temple. The mm. typical temple structure in the ancient world was, the word is tripartite. It has a sort of a porch on the front of the building, then a main room, and then a small room where the idol is. Mm. Well, you've got a porch on the temple, you've got the Holy of Holies, or the holy place, and then you've got the Holy of Holies. Mm. So God is using stuff with which they're familiar, mm. but he's transforming it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, and if I can hear you saying, right, he's taking these things that are part of their culture and he's kind of transforming it to tell his narrative. It's exactly. Kind of be like today, you know, using Superman as an illustration or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, using it, but it is an illustration. Mm. And the other thing that I would want to say is sort of laying foundation here is that the, the Bible teaches that God is not this world. Mm. Every other pagan religion, he's, this world is God. There isn't anything more. Mm. Uh, love is God. The sun is God. Uh, war is God. The moon is God. Mm. And you just go on. Every psycho-socio-physical force in this world is divine. Mm. Mm. The Bible says Nope. Nope. Mm. Alone. Alone. I've, I've loved telling students for years, there really are only two worldviews, mm. the biblical one and the other one. Mm. <laughs> right. And the biblical one says, this world is not God. Mm. The other one says, this world is all there is, baby. There's nothing more. Mm. Now, our culture, for really since the Enlightenment, has said, yes, this world is all there is. 
and there is no spirit. Mm. Mm. Everything is physical, material. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking of the ancient Sumerians or whoever laughing at us and mm-hmm. saying, oh, you poor dummies, you'll figure it out sooner or later. Right. There are spirits in here with us. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening in current culture. Mm-hmm. We're rediscovering those spirits mm-hmm. and we've put them in the form of superheroes. Right. Mm-hmm. So that we're just getting back, but it's still a pagan understanding. This world is God, Mm. and this is all there is. Mm. Here's the Bible saying, nope. Right. (laughs) Right. So paganism, to convey its intuitions of reality, uses nature Mm. as its vehicle. Mm. So you tell the stories, and the stories basically about natural forces with masks on. Mm. Right. The Bible says we can't do that because this world is not God. Mm. God is other than this world. He's unique. Therefore, it's the unique events in time and space, history, Mm. that really reveal who he is. Mm. Mm. So that all of a sudden, history, human historical experience becomes terribly important. In paganism... It's not important. This world is an endless cycle. Right. And and you only matter, I only matter, to the degree that we participate in ideal humanity. Mm -hmm. Mm. Our differences are totally unimportant. Mm. The Bible says, no, 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 you got it on your head. Your differences are what make you you. Mm. Mm. And again, it's this idea of transcendence. God is not this world. You are not ideal humanity. Hmm. You are individually you. I am individually I. Now, I think that's interesting because I think the post-enlightenment mind would say, now, hold on just a second, you, because how dare you accuse uh, everyone else of not having a concept of individuality or individual value? Um, you know, that's, oh, the Bible didn't come up with that. Like, we just intuit that from our own whatever, I uh-huh, don't know what. Uh-huh. What would you say to something like that? I'd say, where has that ever happened where the Bible has not been present? Hmm. Interesting. That they were working from a culture that was heavily biblical, even though they were breaking away from that. Exactly. That was still a part of their history exactly. and the fabric exactly. of that society. This is where somebody asked me very recently, why in the world has atheism risen so rapidly? And this is not original with me, but the answer is because atheism is a diseased form of Christianity. Interesting. Mm. Christianity says, no, that tree is not God. Mm. No, that river is not God. No, that sun is not God. Mm. We've made that. So now, next step, there is no God. Mm. (laughs) Right. But in, in the pagan world... Atheism was unthinkable. And it's interesting because even in our current culture, we have kind of the benefit of the fabric uh, uh, of of Christianity kind of building the moral foundation for what we live in. So we can say, no, I, in my own intuition, I know that killing is wrong, you know, and we can say that because we've had the benefit of the culture in which we lived in. But in other other cultures, if there was genuinely no Christian foundation, killing wouldn't be immoral. It might even be uh, lauded. A good thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's the way it's the way you prove your manhood. Right. right. Or uh, or part of a fertility cult. If we want to talk about ancient Near mm-hmm, Eastern paganism, mm-hmm, um, you know, the like, you know, 
maybe that cow sacrifice didn't appease the gods that control the weather. Your crops are suffering. So how do you up the ante and say, look, divine entities, I'm really serious about this whole you got to make my crops grow thing. Yeah. You take it to the next step and maybe yeah. you little Timmy needs to, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not looking at morally, that's not morally reprehensible in that culture because they don't have a fabric and a background like we have Precisely. where we, we value life. I, uh, a long time ago, I gave a lecture in which I argued the Bible is its own worst enemy. Mm. Okay. Because the Bible has given us individual worth. We have translated that into absolute individual autonomy. Mm. The Bible has given us history, and we have translated that into the uh, uh, absolute power of historical interpretation. The Bible has given us rationality. Mm. We've turned it into rationalism. Right. Mm. The Bible has uh, been the single most liberating force in the world. Mm. Mm. Every place the Bible has gone, mm. it has set people free. Mm. And we have made freedom an absolute. Mm. So mm. in that sense, the, the Bible <laughs> mm. has indeed opened these doors, which we have then said, okay, without God, mm. rationality is everything. Right. Without God, freedom is everything. Mm. Without God, individual autonomy is everything and so forth. So that, yes, absolutely, we are, we are living on the momentum mm. of a biblical culture and not realizing where it came from. Now, what would you say to those who, you know, there's so many similarities in, in kind of pagan myth uh, that run parallel to the Bible or run parallel to the, the narration of salvation. And, and people say, you know, they look at Jesus and they say, he might be a historical figure, but he's not divine. I mean, this is just paralleling all of these other mythical figures of the Son of God. So what would you say, like, how do we look at this text why do we say this text is more than uh, the pagan uh, yeah. texts of the same? Good. And, and let me come back to, to what I was saying a few minutes ago. Yeah, the, the biblical temple and pagan temples, they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. No, they're not. Mm-hmm. Because in that holy of holies, there's not an image mm-hmm. of a human-like God. Mm-hmm. There's a box. Mm. <laughs> a box with the commitment of the transcendent God to his people and the people's commitment to them. Mm. So that in, in the book that we mentioned earlier, the argument that I make is, no, it's not the similarities that define common essence. Mm. It's the differences that tell us there's a radically different essence. Mm. The example that I've used across the years is, there are a lot of similarities between me and my dog. Mm. Both have two eyes and a nose and a mouth. <laughs> and ears. Yeah. And it gets more than that. Right. Circulatory system. Mm. Yeah. Respiratory system. Mm. Gastrointestinal system. The dog does have hair, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the dog and I are essentially the same thing. Mm. No. Right. No. Mm. There's something... A very tiny difference mm. between us that makes me essentially something different from dog. Mm. And it's the same way there. Same way with uh, sacrifice. Mm. Why do I give sacrifices? 
Because a hungry God is a mean God. Mm. <laughs> and the way to a God's heart is through a God's stomach. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I okay. give these things to manipulate him mm. or her to do what I want. Mm. God says, you try to use my sacrifices in that way and you are in big trouble. Mm. Your sacrifices are symbolic of a changed heart condition. Mm. You're forgiven by grace, not because you offer a sacrifice. Right. Mm. But when you offer the sacrifice, you are saying, thank you for your grace. Mm. Mm. And I hereby give my best to you to say thanks. Mm. Mm. So they, it's sometimes said that uh, two people doing the same thing are not necessarily doing the same thing. Right. Right. And that's what's going on here. And so in the same ways, I, I so much like uh, what C.S. Lewis says in talking about the idea of the uh, dying and rising God. Mm. He says, it is said you find this story all over the world, mm. and Jesus is just one more example of this. Mm. And he says, well, think about it this way. If God was going to enter time and space and die for his people, wouldn't it be surprising if there were no intimations of this anywhere else in the world? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what Lewis called the good dreams. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and so what he's kind of doing is turning on its head. Uh, if these things exist, they exist as evidence that, in fact, in time and space, God did it. Which is interesting uh, in light of something, obviously the listeners aren't going to be privy to this, but in the chapel service today, you made mention of God calling Abraham and, and making this invitation to him and the possibility that, you know, maybe this was just the first person who said yes. Mm. Who, who else has God been kind of whispering to yes, saying, yeah, hey, yes. we could do something? Yes, mm. yes, yes, yes. And uh, could you maybe expand on that a little bit, this, this thought? I think it's, it's apparent that God cares for every person on the earth mm -hmm. and that God's, God's condescension, you mm -hmm. used the word, Maureen, earlier, uh, God's condescension is... He's not going to do something without human cooperation and involvement. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, that's what the incarnation is about. Right. God becoming flesh. And so I just, I just think almost in a, in a, uh, a way of, of God saying, won't somebody trust me? Mm. Won't someone do it? And, and he's, he's constantly limiting himself by our limitations. Mm -hmm. And so it just makes sense to me that, indeed, this wouldn't have been the first person to whom he made these kind of offers. Right. That as he's trying to win the world, he's trying to find somebody right. who will cooperate with him. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so interesting because I feel like we were talking about this earlier that 
you know, the way to a person's heart really is through story. Like yeah. we're, we're so built uh, to hear stories and to, and to find ourselves in these characters and to learn about yeah. God through these characters. And the Bible is written in that way. And it's such a powerful medium even for today uh, that all we were talking about earlier, movies, you know, it's a billion, billion dollar industry. And we have a lot of movies like uh, Twilight where it kind of gets into this immortal love romance that in some ways I see like there's a parallel to Jesus here, right? He's he's somebody who's undying and he never gets tired and he's only obsessed with this girl, <laughs> you know, or things like the Marvel movies of, of the superhero and, and this kind of intergalactic fight that's happening between good and evil. Or Star Wars. And Star Wars. <laughs> Worse. Yes, please tell us about the. No, it's okay. Don't get me started. That that you think getting an Old Testament professor bad it, going is bad? You don't let me start on that. I had to throw it in there. Yeah, no, I think that that these are stories that fascinate and, and captivate the audiences because there's a part of us I feel like that is is longing for something more than just the material. Like we we have that that God shaped hole in our heart that says God is calling us. God God wants to have a relationship with us, and we also have an awareness that maybe there's a bigger and more epic battle that's happening around us. But unfortunately, you know, pop culture swoops in and, and really capitalizes on that. And uh, the Bible doesn't really get to fill that. It uh, mm. doesn't have as much CGI, I guess. Yeah. The, um, the thing that is fascinating about the difference between the mythic tales and the biblical tales, the biblical tales are so much more rooted in time and space. Mm. Mm. You know, the the world's first bestseller was the Gilgamesh mm. epic. And you've got this amazing story of this guy who is the king of his uh, uh, city, and he is a dude. And uh, <laughs> he's got the elders of the city really scared because he's carrying off all the women. And, and uh, they say, well, what we got to do is we got to find somebody who can put him in his place. Mm. And so they say, well, there's this, there's this wild man, Enkidu. He lives out there in the woods with the animals. And so uh, we'll go get him and we'll bring him in here. And so the story develops, but it's very much an everyman story. Mm. It's this Enkidu, Gilgamesh, what is this? This is the everlasting conflict between males and their attempt to find adventure and all that happens there. And, you know, the sort of the, uh, the climax is when these two guys are just, instead of Enkidu beating up Gilgamesh, they, after the epic battle, disc become great buddies, mm. and they go off to have adventures. And the adventures keep escalating up and up until finally Enkidu tears the hind leg off the bull of heaven. Mm. Oops. Oops. <laughs> mm. And the gods say, that's one too far. That's mm. one too far. We, we've got to have his life. And Gilgamesh, they take his life. And Gilgamesh denies he's not dead. Mm. He's not dead. He's asleep. He's asleep. Mm. For seven days, finally a worm crawls out of Enkidu's nose. He says he's dead. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but compare that to the Abraham story. Mm. You're not talking about every man. No. You're talking about a unique individual who had some choices to make. Mm. So I don't become Abraham, but I've got the same issues mm. right. that I've got to deal with. Mm. Mm. 
So the story is applicable to me, right. but it's not just a sort of a generalized thing. And that's the way it is with all these characters. I mean, mm. uh, you, you look at a David mm. and you say, no, we're not. You can't replicate him. No, right. he's not every man. But in his experience, in his reality, there is truth about life mm-hmm. that I've got to apply to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that what you find then in the Bible is is this absolutely different worldview. And, and in the book, I've got about 15, uh, but let me just give you three or four here. Uh, many gods, one God. Mm. The world is God. The world is not God. Mm. How do you get at God? By manipulating this world with imitative magic. Mm. Magic is forbidden. Mm. What is the essential life power? Sex. Mm. God is suprasexual. Mm. And you just go down the list and everything that the myths believe about reality, the Bible says, no. Mm. <laughs> right. No. I feel like no. even when you're saying that comparison, I think this is kind of a model of what a good, healthy relationship would look like not multiple just one that's exactly um uh, that 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 you're not manipulating this person precisely uh through you know whatever you're using but you're you're having a relationship with them uh that that it seems like these parallels go down to the fact that god is saying i want a relationship with you i don't want you to try and manipulate me or gaming by other any other means but through our friendship and this is why you know in the ten commandments why is it that the representative sexual sin is adultery? Mm. Mm. I think if I were doing it, I would choose bestiality or something right. like that, something right. really nasty. Right. But no, no. And it's precisely that God has made us for this kind of a relationship. Mm. And to break faith and break that relationship mm. is to, in fact, do damage to who you have been made to be as a human. Mm. So uh, you're, you're absolutely right that it is because God is relational. Therefore, his world has been made and the story that he tells right. is designed to make this very point. And it's so dignifying, you know, yes. the, the way he treats us in yes. that relationship yes. is a dignifying yes. way that he's describing yes. it. Yes, yes. I think it's also interesting looking in the Abraham narrative where moderns might be, postmoderns, whatever, wherever we are, yeah. might be tempted to look at the Bible and say it's so tribalistic, it's so isolationist, like you, you've got this arrogance of thinking like you're all that there is. And you look at the, the scope of the covenant that God gives Abraham and it's, it's, it has the whole world in view. Yes. And the universality yes. of the Bible yes. is not yes. in like forever being applicable to everyone. You just are the characters. But instead, it's that God has his eye on Egypt. God has his eye on Moab, and he cares about all these places. And he shows moral concern for them, even though they're not within the covenant. That's the Jonah story, too. Yes, yes, yes. You are a unique chosen people for the world. Right. Mm. And it's... I, I'm, I'm reluctant to say it very pointedly, but... But that's one of the, the tragedies of, uh, I, guess, I guess I would, I would say it this way, it's one of the short-circuitings of biblical faith when we think that our chosenness is about us. Mm. Mm. 
And not about serving others. or Exactly. Yeah. And on the other hand, well, since it's about everybody, God doesn't particularly care about you. Mm. No, he has chosen you. Mm. Right. But for their sake. Right. Mm. I've always loved, I think it's Max Lucado who said it first, uh, uh, God has your picture on his refrigerator. Mm, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 We are chosen, mm. but we're not chosen for ourselves. Mm. We're chosen for the world. So what is your experience? Because your, your study is Old Testament. Yep. And what is your experience within the evangelical world about being an Old Testament professor? Like, what's the atmosphere right now about this part of the Bible? Are people seeing it as, like, obsolete, that we should just be focusing on the New Testament? And, and what would you say to those who are leaning towards in that direction? Yeah, I, I, think, I think both in the church and in the scholarly world, and, and I think they're related, uh, there, there's this sense that, well, it's just an ancient book mm. that was created, who knows how, uh, who knows how it all got put together. And, and yeah, if, if you want to be an antiquarian, uh, it's all right, but it's really, we're Christians for heaven's sake. Mm. And sometimes seminary students are so discouraged by their Old Testament studies uh, yeah, what relevance does this have to us mm -hmm. that they go out of seminary and basically never preach the Old Testament again? Mm. Mm. And, and I see that happening in, in the church. It's happening in the academy that basically it has no relevance for us. Mm. And I see it happening in the church as well. And, and in my mind, that is an incredible tragedy. Because mm. the way I have have tried to picture it across the years is if you sort of imagine in your mind a, a grid, a two crossed lines, Old Testament here, New Testament here, the top segment is major themes. Mm -hmm. Well, the major theme of the Old Testament is the transcendence of God. Mm -hmm. He is other, mm -hmm. absolutely other. Mm -hmm. And then his justice, his holiness, his um, uh, power, his majesty, so forth. Mm. What you're doing there is laying foundation. Who is this God we're worshiping? Right. Now, the, the bottom register, you have minor themes. And in the Old Testament, imminence, he's immediately present. Mm. Love, mm -hmm. grace, they're all there, mm. but they're minor themes. You're trying to hammer these. Who is this God anyway? Right. What again, can he do what's he again? This yeah. is a line I've used with students for years and years. If the little God who lives under your bed to make your prayers come true loves you, mm. so what? Right. Mm. But if the God who can fry you alive by looking at you loves you, mm. that's good news. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> what happens in the New Testament? You reverse those two. Mm. Uh, and another one, another major theme is community. We are saved and lost together. Mm. And righteousness is worked out in society. Right. Mm. Major theme, Old Testament. New Testament. Imminence. Mm. Individual salvation. Grace. Mm. Love. Righteousness is about me. Mm. And I am declared righteous by faith. Mm. Minor themes, transcendence. Justice, community. power, yeah. community. Still what, there. 
what happens if you lose the Old Testament? Mm. Mm. A friendly little God who lives under my bed mm. and says, oh, honey, that's all right. Mm. It doesn't matter. Mm. Mm. The North American Evangelical Church. Right. Mm. So that, that I would argue the Old Testament is the essential foundation of New Testament faith. Now, again, some of my students think that I think the Bible ends at Malachi. <laughs> no, no. It's, if, if it ends there, it's a story of failed hopes, of broken dreams. Mm. Right. But it's the first floor in the basement. Mm. And you don't start a house on the second floor. Absolutely. It's tough to get right. the boards to stay up there long enough to nail them together. <laughs> right. It's a better view. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really where I would come across, mm. that no, no, the, the Old Testament by itself is incomplete. Mm. Mm. And, and again, that's going to be offensive to the Jew, but, mm. but that's exactly, it's a trajectory that's pointing somewhere, right. and it's pointing to the New Testament hope in Christ. Mm. And if you want to understand who that is, Christ is, mm-hmm. you got to go back to look at the beginning of the trajectory mm-hmm. right. and know where it comes from. It's yeah. interesting because, you know, how much of the New Testament is reference to the Old Testament? And yet, mm-hmm. as we, you know, tend to be in Protestant circles in North America, we're such avid readers of the New Testament. And yet, we totally miss sometimes, like, how did Jesus fulfill the covenant? Exactly. That's not even a question we ask. Precisely. This is, again, uh, this is something I've said for, for many years. It's, it's the game of Jeopardy. Mm. Mm. The answer is Jesus. But what is the question? <laughs> right. right, right, right. Yeah. And for most North American evangelicals, it is, how can my sins be forgiven mm. and I go to heaven? Right. Mm. Wrong question. Mm-hmm. Mm. The Old Testament question says, how will it ever be possible for a sinful human being mm-hmm. to live in fellowship with the Holy God. Mm. That's the question. And that's, right. that's and the Jesus angle. Jesus is the answer. Yeah. I think that that's such a beautiful emphasis because it's all about God wants to be with us. Yes, yes, yes. Emmanuel. Yes. God yes. with us. And it's not just about how do I, you know, get out of jail free card. Uh, and give us his character. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I want to share myself with you. Right. I think that's so beautiful. And I, I appreciate you taking the time oh, to come on our podcast to today. Mm-hmm. I want to give you and Max the last word. Any last thoughts that you have that you'd like to share with everyone? <laughs> <laughs> Read the Old Testament. <laughs> and Isaiah. And yes. get the New Living Translation. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate having this dialogue. I did my undergraduate studies in a predominantly evangelical setting, but like, you know, multi-denominational and that's something that you're familiar with yes and i think that for a lot of us in the adventist world we can get really isolated and think that you know we could think oh all evangelicals don't care about the old testament and we're the only ones following it and yet here we are having this conversation that i think is so fruitful and so kind of expository on our current culture and our all of our collective deficits in reading the Bible. And as you may not even know it, but if you've used some Adventist buzzwords and phrases <laughs> that are like really important to us yeah. in this conversation, it's almost like we read the same Bible. Amazing. Amazing. Right? <laughs> and so I, I do, I do really appreciate that. And I Great. hope that the, the viewers and listeners kind of get a sense of that too, that Great. we have a lot to learn from each other. Great. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks again for being on. And uh, Happy we be- hope to have you on again sometime. That'd be great. <laughs> We're so glad you chose to join us today. We hope you stay tuned for next week as we continue holding life and faith discussions that direct us deeper into understanding the Bible in a contemporary context. If you're watching us on YouTube, please like and subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Advent Next. See you next time.